This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station. 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. It's Friday. We've made it a whole week without Mark, but we got to the uh, Friday. Setting the stage for next week, SEC Media Days, full coverage next week. We're sending up an army of reporters like we've never done before. As we head into the uh, final day of our work week on the opening kickoff, I want to welcome back, back for a second stint this week. That's, that's pretty good to have Joe Nyland back, the Spring Hill Athletic Director. Good morning. Good morning, Lee. So you, you went from us to Atlanta and back here again. Congratulations. You made it. I made it. You made it big. Wait, you had a conference meeting up there? Yeah, we had our uh, summer conference meeting in, in, in Atlanta. That's where the SIAC office is. So uh, it also coincided with their football media days. We do not have football, but our conference is a, is a big historic Do you ever get conference. pressure from the conference to have football? No, uh, but, you know, I can remember ever since coming to – to to mobile to coach at spring hill one of the questions i always get asked is when y'all gonna start football do you still get asked that question Uh, yeah not quite as often you know why don't you you know i know there's been stories about this reports why don't you start why don't you tell people it's it's not that easy to field a football program well it's not and 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 the cost is you know spring hill did have football some of our uh, we had some great teams back in the 20s and 30s and and uh, but the cost of having football nowadays is 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 quite expensive. Well, what if you do what some schools do like the Division 3 schools and everything and or like Huntington. How does Huntington College field a football team? They held, they only have a, a few what 1500 students. They have less and, than that. Yeah, and and those who play pay, right? Well, they pay a portion. You know, the, the assumption is nobody pays full. Very few people pay full to go to college anymore. There's there's some type of discount rate. And, For everybody? Uh, just about. Nick, yeah. did you pay to go to college? Well, you pay, but you're not paying the full freight. Right, that's what I mean. Did yeah. you uh, pull the full, pay the full freight? I will start paying for my college this month. He borrowed. Oh, no. I feel bad for you. But even, I mean, even like. I, I, I'm assuming you went that route where you, what's the name of that organization that pays for you and then you have to pay them back with interest? Well, student loans. Student loans. Is that what you did? That's correct. I would never do that again. Never. I, we did that for my son. What, no part of that. I would, if I had to do it all over again, I'd just pay up front. Forget the uh, interest. Well, g- getting back to that, I mean, you usually apply to a school, and, and schools have some type of merit aid or uh, academic aid or grant money based on your income. Um, so, yeah, there are some people that pay full, but not, not generally too often. Joe, why don't we set the stage for today, uh, July 14th. It's 81 degrees. It's going to be hot, humid, rainy. <laughs> 
That's it's Mobile. I, yeah, it's Mobile. <laughs> That's exactly right. So my wife asked me yesterday because she knows Friday is my lawn cutting day. So she says, like, when is it going to rain? I'm like, I don't know. It could be 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Who knows? I mean, where I am, it rains in all different parts of the area. I mean, we've lived here since 1980, you know? I mean, nothing changes. Well, it did seem generally that it used to only rain in the afternoon, you know, in the summer. The humidity would build up and it'd rain about three or four o'clock but to, now it seems like it's just raining all day long all right we got lined up today in the six o'clock hour blake stein spring hill alum baseball basketball yeah played baseball and basketball I'll basketball briefly briefly alphonse taylor he was supposed to join us yesterday couldn't get him on we're going to try again today paul feinbaum at seven thoughts on the sec media days and also about commissioner greg sankey whose contract has been extended through 2028 we'll talk with well we're going to actually kind of a reunion with joe nyland's family today joe who's coming on at 7 30 uh, my sister bridget my youngest sister uh she worked with the NCAA for a long time. She's now a dean of uh, one of the colleges at Niagara University, but she was an athletic director, and she's very versed with the NCAA since she worked in Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm very curious about that issue, NIL, NCAA versus state laws. Well, I think that's a big question, and we talked about it a little bit on Monday, but yeah, I— Bridget and I have talked. Uh, matter of fact, she was just down here from my son Patrick's wedding, so we we had talked about the NCA and colleges in general. Who was she was there with Emirate? Also, the before no, she that? was there way before way that. before Emirate, way before Emirate with. Uh, trying to remember oh, who was what, there. What the guy who pushed through the APR? Oh, trying to remember who it was uh, that was former before. Indiana president. He Miles Brand. All right. So at uh, 8 o'clock, another Nyland? Yeah, Andy Nyland, my nephew, uh, my brother David's boy, who's been with the Bucks the last few years, is uh, Eric Spolstra. That's who he, he wants to be. He, he was a video guy with the Bucks and uh, an individual workout guy. And uh, uh, so he, he's been out in uh, Vegas at the Summer League. That's great. I want to get some of his thoughts. Speaking about the Summer League, the Charlotte Hornets have uh, shut down Brandon Miller. There's only two more games to go. It's load management. Is that what we've seen now in the summer league? They're going to shut him down. I saw a comment the other day from Victor Wembiana, who played in two games. Now, I don't know how you can evaluate two summer league games into the NBA, but he says – the uh, league that he played in or basketball in Europe is a lot more physical than the NBA. Okay, Victor, you only played in two summer league games. <laughs> is that going to be similar to what you're going to face when you get into the NBA and some of those roughnecks, uh, Dram Draymond Green and guys like that in the NBA? Yeah, well, he, that, no, it's he got a very small picture of what the NBA is going to I mean, be like. I can't imagine the summer league being comparable to what he's going to face when he gets into the NBA and they start getting rough with him. Well, and, and the level of talent. I mean, the summer league's a summer league, and there is some good players, but it's not going to be near what he's going to face in, in, in the regular season. Jake Crane also coming on. Uh, he'll join us at 8.30. He lives in Nashville, so obviously he doesn't have far to go for the SEC media days. Joe, the story that I, I liked seeing, I, I was really concerned a little bit when this uh, – 
D1 expansion committee was looking at expanding the NCAA basketball tournament past 68. I was hoping they didn't. What's the latest on that? Well, I think it's got pushed back from what I've read, uh, kind of tabled. Uh, there's still people that are for it. Obviously, to me, it all comes down to money, more exposure, more more games on television for the the tournament uh, is probably why they're pushing for it. But I, I'm glad to see it get get tabled. I, I really wasn't for it going to 68 or the play-ins. I just, you know, I guess I'm more old school. I was, I'm not into the 68. I'd, I'd prefer 64, all right? And I certainly didn't want it to expand it past 68. Well, I think what you, you is more mid-majors, you know, the talent gets spread out with the portal and everything. The concern is really from the Power Five people that they get their numbers in. And and that that's where this push is really coming well from. if you pushed it past 68 what's the point of an nit which the ncaa controls anyway which to me is just a watered down version because let's face it the uh, you know the nit was we, we had andy kennedy on earlier this week weren't they in the finals did they win it I, I know they played north texas i think in the finals i don't even remember if they won I it or not remember it's not what it was right it's no. not it, it, the nit back when was a very prestigious league in fact comparable to what the NCAA was back in the 60s and 70s. In fact, there were occasions where a team would vie for the NIT rather than the NCAA tournament. Yeah, Al McGuire took Marquette to the NIT the one year uh, instead of the NCAA. Well, and, and there was a reason for that because the NCAA did, it, it was a very small tournament and you didn't always have your best teams in there. The NIT really had the better teams and then of course the Final Four grew and and it changed that you know, Plus, all the games were in New York at Madison mm -hmm. Square Garden. I had the pleasure of broadcasting many, many games there. And you had a lot of very good teams. And like I said, as you pointed out, the NCAA, when they started out, when I first started following college basketball, I think they only had 16 teams mm -hmm. in the NCAA tournament. And those postseason tournaments, like the ACC, very few conferences had postseason tournaments, but they were wars. The ACC tournament, they were second to none. I mean, the Maryland's, North Carolina's, because only one team was going. Right. And they the, had some unbelievable games. There were several times Maryland was ranked number two in the country and lost in the ACC tournament and was in the NIT. They also drew very, very well. They had a lot of name players. But again, you know, we're getting ahead of ourselves. That, that was in the past. So if they expand the NCAA tournament or if they're going to, What's the need for the NIT tournament, which now is what, out in Vegas, I think? Yeah. They, they moved they, it from New York to Vegas? To Vegas. Is everybody moving to Vegas? <laughs> is there anybody who's not in Vegas? Let's see. NBA doesn't have a team in Vegas yet. I'm sure they will soon, right? Oh, I'm sure they will. Major League Baseball, they don't have a team in Vegas. They have a triple-A team. Yeah, but uh, the A's were talking at one time about moving to Vegas. Still waiting on that. Still yeah. waiting on that. Uh, it seems like every week there's like a hurdle to clear. All right, so that hasn't been official yet, but it's it's coming. Well, you're going to have to play indoors. Too hot to play outside in Vegas in the summer. Uh, yeah, I, the, as far as the basketball tournament goes, you know, you have there's a few other postseason tournaments, but if if the NCAA expands, there's no need for those. Uh, but I, I just what is there 356 Division One teams, so. 
you know, I know they try to do a percentage, but to me it's really to push to make sure the Big Ten, SEC, Big East, Pac-10, Pac-12, whatever it is, they get their teams in. And, you know, when these – and and maybe it, it'll help the Sun Belt get another team or some of these mid-major leagues, but most of the time it's just to get the expansion for the big schools. For those who don't know, Joe is from Buffalo, big family up there. I'm – I lived in Jersey, but I went to school in upstate New York. You might be interested to hear when we come back that Greg Sankey, whose contract's been extended to 2028, has an extensive background in upstate New York. Joe will tell us about that when we come back. All right. Appreciate Nick being in today. Uh, For Joan Island, sitting in for Mark Heim, who finishes up his vacation on WNSP today. I'm Lee Shervanian. Uh, We're going to get a traffic update, weather update, and a scoreboard. Not too much on the scoreboard, but I do have some headlines. We're going to tell you where Javon Quinterly is going to transfer to when we come back on WNSP and WNSP.com. Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. That's the group Cure. See, I I can pick some music out every now and then. I like that Friday song. Nick found it for me. I had no idea who it was. Well, you know, I've never asked you, you know, when we get you on without you being a co-host, what would you like as your walk-on music? Uh, (laughs) Have to be something from like the Rolling Stones or Cream, something like that. All right. I didn't put anything in there, Nick, from the Rolling Stones, but maybe... Allman somewhere, brothers. maybe somewhere before he leaves, he has to leave around eight fifteen, eight twenty. Something from uh, Nick Jagger. We can find any particular one. Satisfaction. Uh, doesn't really matter. Any. Any. Did you ever see him in concert? Yeah, three or four times. I actually saw him in New Orleans a few years ago, and it was like, I, last time I saw him was like maybe nineteen seventy nine or something like that. So. So they're still going. Years aren't later. they still going strong? <laughs> yeah, it was before Charlie Watts. You know, the drummer just passed away, maybe a year ago. Got a lot of information coming out of uh, the Hill, Spring Hill uh, Sports Volleyball. Oh yeah, well Nolan, our SID Nolan Catilla does a great job. Yeah, volleyball, and this is a yearly thing. Uh, Peggy Martin, of course, our tremendous coach. But you know, we the AV the AVCA, which is the American Volleyball Coaches Association, all academic team award, and and it seems every year we get one. So uh, you know, uh, Peggy does a great job, and our girls, uh, you know, as a team, achieve a very high GPA. And, um, you know, that's uh, it seems every year I get the notice that uh, here we go again. Peggy's got her team uh, receiving honors. Congratulations. How big was your family growing up, boys, girls? How many? Five sisters, and then I have a brother, younger brother. So seven? Seven. And then mom and dad. So there's nine and a half. But seven. Was it a, did you each have your own room? No, for a long time, five sisters in one room and me and my brother in the other. We were lucky, except our room was very small. I bring that up because there's a story 
AL.com, which is spreading out of the Internet. Philip Rivers, you're familiar with Philip Rivers, yeah, the NFL quarterback? They're up to 10 now. He and his wife, his wife expecting their 10th, it's going to be a boy. think I read seven girls, two boys, and a boy on the way. Yeah, the poor, poor boys. <laughs> it's hard when you grow up with all those sisters. Can, can you imagine, though, if you only had one bathroom? We did. We had bath and a half. Well, what did you do? Like, did you like, uh, like, you know, when you go to a store and you get a number when it's your turn to use? Well, my, I'm the second oldest, so I have an older sister. But I would get up, boom, and get in that bathroom because if she got in the bathroom, it was done. And, uh, you know, my dad used to argue with me all the time. I like to take a shower in the morning. He said, well, didn't you take one after practice last night at school? I said, yeah. Well, his, his argument was use the school's water, hot water, don't use mine. So were you given like a time limit in the shower? I usually got in and out. I like, I like to eat breakfast, and I got in and out of there. But when my older sister got in there, you know how it goes. Yeah, I understand that. That's why, yeah, I believe me, with, with my daughters – I remember all too well. Twenty yeah. minute showers. Well, twenty my, minutes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. My my dad was one of thirteen, and my mom was one of eight. So you know, to them, it was no. You know, I had a lot of people in the house, and you know, in the old days, you're lucky if you had a bathroom. And uh, so, you know, nowadays, when you know someone like me, I say I have four kids, they're like, "Wow, you have a big family." <laughs> no, I don't have a big family. Five daughters. Yeah. Have you better get along? Oh, yeah. I mean, generally. I mean, it's it's a household. You're going to have some disagreements. We were talking. Uh, uh, Joe is from upstate New York. His roots, obviously, been down here for quite a long time. And I went to school in upstate New York. And the first time I ever met Greg Sankey was at SEC Media Days. And I mentioned about school upstate. He started talking. He went to the same school I did, but only, like, I think as a grad assistant but you could dig deeper into his roots. Yeah, he went to uh, a good friend of mine, Jimmy Sagona, who uh, is from central New York but has been a longtime coach at Collin Community College in Texas out in the uh, Plano, Dallas area. Uh, Jimmy started his career at the College of the Finger Lakes, uh, which I, might be something else now. Those schools change names all the time, but – he goes, yeah, I had a walk-on guy one year. He goes, he, he, I just kept him. He was a cross-country guy, but he played really hard. And it was Greg Sankey. <laughs> he walked on and played junior college basketball. Greg's been running the SEC now for nine years. There's been many publications that say he's like one of the most powerful figures, well, in college sports. I don't oh, know about all sports. Doubt. Yeah, I mean, definitely college sports. The SEC, I mean – Basically, the SEC and Big Ten run the NCAA. He'll be making the rounds next week. Hopefully, we'll have him on with us. I know either the afternoon show or the morning show will certainly have him on to talk SEC uh, as he will. He's one of the very few that's there every day and pretty much hits just about every station. He not only has done a fantastic job with the SEC, but he's also a good PR person, too. He's a sharp guy. He really is. All right, uh, when we come back, Blake Stein, former Spring Hill basketball, baseball star, major leaguer, and he's going to talk some baseball with us. You know, he once played for Oakland. Yeah, he was. That's the. he's part of one of the big trades of all time. And we'll tell you about that when we come back as the opening...
Good morning. It is 6.31. Joe Nyland sitting in for Mark, who's back next week as we get ready for SEC Media Days. Later on in the show, uh, Nick, who's running the board, but we're not going to have him here next week because he is one of our four we're sending up to Nashville. So Nick will give us kind of a basically M.O. as to what to expect next week when he and the others uh, from the afternoon show go up to Nashville for the very first time. Uh, let's lead into Spring Hill Baseball, Joe. Yeah, well, we just hired a new assistant, Brett Weeks. Brex comes to us from uh, what well, used to be the old Jeff Davis Community College in Bruton, but I think it's Coastal East, they call now. But we're excited. Brett has extensive experience in this area, in the panhandle and, and, and along the coast. So, uh it's a good addition to the staff. Mark Rendier, who was with us, uh, left to take a job up in uh, one of the minor pro league teams up in Maine. So Now I'm going to talk baseball, and, and Blake Stein is on the line, McGill Toolin uh, administrator. And, Blake, the good news for you is you don't have to deal with Mark this morning. Well, I'm not sure how you managed that upgrade to get Joe Nyland there, but I, I you know two thumbs up on that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, Blake. <laughs> uh, Blake, there's a, we're going to crisscross uh, a number of baseball things. But first of all, what stuck out in the first half of the season, the Major League Baseball season, as far as you're concerned? Well, I think that everybody was so concerned with all the rule changes and how that was going to affect the game. Um, and so, number one, you did see a, a better tempo to the game with, with the pitch clock. That was uh, definite. But I still think that there's uh, a lot to be said about the number of throws that a, a pitcher can make over to hold a guy on. Um, you know, I don't like that. Uh, I think you see a lot more uh, stolen bases. Uh, I, I don't know that for a fact. It just is kind of my perception. But I think that the fact that they can't pick over as much and they've increased the size of the bases, um, the, the base runners are taking advantage of that. Yeah, Blake, I, it, and I, I, I really don't pick up the game as much till after an all-star break and the fact the Yankees aren't playing very well, so I, that kind of loses my interest. But it just seems when I watch, there's just a lot of lacking in fundamentals. I mean, the other day when the what? guy stole home, he went all the way from first to home. I mean, that was something you see in Little League. Well, and it, it just goes to show that, you know, there's there's no pride in the little things. That third, because they wanted to try to shift over on the hitter that was up there, the third baseman, what even close to third um, to even uh, keep the guy close. And he, the, the base runner, it was uh, De La Cruz, yeah. did a great job. He, he saw how far that third baseman was off, and he just kept walking and just kept walking. And when they weren't paying attention to him, he took off. And so, um, but, it, but it's not just that. It, it, there, there's no... Um, there's really no pride in, in moving base runners, you know, playing some small ball. Everything is for the two, three run grand slam, um, playing for the big inning instead of just playing for a run at a time. And um, and so that part of the game, I think, has definitely changed. Well, that, you know, when they, when they outlawed the real shift, which dr drives me nuts because if you can't take the ball the other way, some of these guys that are getting paid $10 million a year and they can't take the ball the other field, I mean, I would cut them if I was the GM. I would bring their agent right. in and say, he can't hit to right field. Uh, we're going to take $10 million off his salary this year. Well, and, and I brought this up the other day. I was talking to some guys, and it seems like that any time there's a rule change in baseball, um, if you go back to Bob Gibson's year, 
uh, when he had just a, um, it was just an incredible year. So what did they do? They lowered the mound. Um, now, now they're checking for all these foreign substances before and after every inning. You know, they're, uh, they've, they've changed the game to benefit hitters. They've never done anything in the game to help the pitchers. But, and then so if you, if you notice, the pitchers seem to always, always kind of catch back up to it and everything else. And so I, I'm with you. I think if a, if a team wants to put their entire defense on the right side of the field because this left-handed hitter will not go the other way, then let them do it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's if, within the if, it's if, within if, the game, right? And so the, the fact that somebody actually has the ability to to bunt a ball, possibly pass the third baseman and get a double out of it, which you know I saw one time I can't remember who it was, but th- th- there's no pride in, in just taking a single. There, there's no there's nothing good in that. They would rather hit 220 with 40 home runs than to hit 280 with 20 and 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 have a little bit better production at the plate. My counter to your thoughts on pitchers, hitters, and I see where you're going with this about favoring the hitter, but if you check the stats, there's very few hitters hitting 300 these days, except for Raz of Miami. Most hitters, I mean, it's incredible how bad the batting averages are. Uh, Our own Josh Donaldson, did you see what Josh Donaldson's hitting about 150? He's got like 11 homers out of his 14 hits. But the point is, and and part of this is because I guess a lot of these hitters are trying to hit, hit it into the seats all the time. But, you know, there, years ago, I mean, there's a lot of guys that'd be over 300. Today, there's just a handful. Well, and uh, if you look, the, the number of people that bat 300, which was kind of the benchmark of, of a, a quality hitter, was if you hit 300, you were having a good year. Um, they, they don't even look at the average. Now, there's so many different analytical stats that they put out there um, that they go by. You know, launch angle and you know exit velocity and you know home runs and and so if you look, I, I would be willing to bet that home runs and extra base hits are up, but the but the batting averages are down because that's what that's what they're they're gearing themselves towards now. If uh, you were the general manager of the Angels, would you trade Otani? Well, I would make I would I would make the right trade for Otani, um, and so that. I mean, you've you've got the best player in baseball, and, and I don't think it's very close. And so, if if you were going to trade him, you better make an an incredible haul on what you get in return for him. Um, and so, uh, it, I I don't know if any teams are going to be willing to give up what I would think he would be worth to trade for him. But um, I think that if they got the right trade, then yes, absolutely. But not just to not just to trade him so they don't have to pay his salary. Blake, what? I mean, we've really never seen a player like this in baseball, I guess, since Babe Ruth. And Ruth Ruth only did it briefly, what Otani's doing. Can you imagine what being almost an everyday player and pitching? I I, I told – we were talking about him the other day as well. I I don't think that you can honestly say that there's not been a better all-around baseball player than him. I mean, we've had some fantastic ball players come through, and and tremendous careers and everything else. But they were specialized for their craft. They either played a position or they pitched. Um, and this guy comes out and does both, and is an unreal hitter, both for average and power, um, steals bases, great defender, great pitcher. I, I don't think if he continues on this track for another three or four years, I mean, I don't think anybody can complain and say that. 
or argue that he's been the best player in baseball. Um, and so, as a matter of fact, if you if you saw the major league draft the other day, there were a few players that were that were drafted in a new position that was called a, a two-way player. And so I've never seen that before. You were either a position player and they listed your position or you were a, a pitcher. But there were a couple players that were drafted that were listed as a two-way player. So he's changing the game. Yeah, there's a big six-seven kid. I forget where he is from. Fredrickson. Right, he's or a first, ba- yeah, first baseman pitcher. I think is was what he was, and he but he was listed as a two-way player. He's been the guy that was ninety-seven and hits, you know, twenty-five home runs or something. So. Well, you remember um, in he, high school, you probably played both. You probably played. Uh, you didn't just pitch, right? In high school. Um, you know, I played third base, um, and then when our shortstop pitched, I played shortstop in high school. Um, you know, but my thing was my thing was pitching. I I didn't really care too much to hit. I I would talk a big game and think that I could hit, but I couldn't hit. You um, probably had the launch angle every once in a while. Um, <laughs> but but there was never really that expectation once you got to college. Um, in high school, it's understandable, but there wasn't really that expectation in college to, to be a, a two-way player because even when I was coming up, there wasn't – we had some guys in college that played, you know, Kevin Grimes um, that played a position and pitched, but there there weren't that many that did that. And so uh, for, for people to start doing that now and being tremendously successful on both sides is, is very rare to see. Not only is Otani leading the majors in home runs, but, Blake, I I saw the other day he's leading the league in triples. He's leading the league right. in almost every category, and then that's not even including pitching. I know. It, what, what he's doing, I mean, I, I'd, I'd love to argue with the person who tells me that he's not the best player in baseball right now and then try to prove to me otherwise. Um, and so I, I think the Angels are, are holding a wild card there with him, um, and if they, if they wanted to trade him, they should be able to get a tremendous haul um, to help you know, bolster their entire team with just with one player. But it's going to be interesting to see what kind of war, uh, bidding war goes out if, if they do want to trade him. problem I have with these trades today is that when you trade a superstar, which he is, usually all you get are a whole bunch of minor leaguers. Oh, yeah, and Baseball America has them rated one or three or four. But you don't really get a major leaguer in return back when, when trades were made. Uh, it was like a major leaguer for a major leaguer although one might be better than another, uh, a la Lou Brock trade or, or the Tom Seaver trade that you know, or the Nolan Ryan trades that come to mind. They, they get major leaguers back. But in, in this day and age, remember when Soto was traded? What would Washington get, about five minor leaguers? They didn't get a, major, a guy with major league experience at the time, although one or two of them are now you know, in the majors with Washington. But it's usually like a haul. So I, I just... With the kind of crowds he brings in, and and the you know the merchandising that goes with him, and the PR value, the guy's only what about twenty nine or thirty. Wouldn't you make an effort? Right. You know how the Angels used to spend gobs of money for Pujols, uh, Rendon, Josh Hamilton. Don't you think they ought to just do whatever they can to re-sign them or sign them to a long contract? I'm surprised they haven't signed them at this point. Well, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that they were, you know, a lot of that was Disney money as well when they were signing these big contracts. And, of course, they're starting to lay people off of ESPN and starting to cut back and everything else. And so, you know, I'm not sure if they had that kind of uh, that bankroll to be able to, to, to sign that kind of uh, contract. But, I mean, th- this is one of the few times I can honestly say that I think this guy could name his price and it wouldn't be unwarranted. 
Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see how his salary is going to work out and what kind of structure they, they, they do. I don't know if they do some sort of Bobby Bonilla contract where he gets paid so much to, you know, the year 2050 or 2060 or something like that. But um, it's going to be very interesting to see how the team that signs him can afford him. We were talking about Oakland to Vegas. Was the Oakland Stadium really that bad that people talk about? Yeah, and the thing about it was during baseball season, it was great. And now it didn't have all the amenities that the, the new stadiums had when we were going around. You know, that you had Safeco, you had Cleveland that had a, a relatively new stadium. Um, I'm trying to think, Detroit built a new stadium. Um, and so the, the, those stadiums were, were fantastic and their amenities were incredible. But when you went to Oakland, not that they were bad, they just weren't up to, to par with the rest of the league and what they were doing. And then, of course, when football season came around, then they started moving bleachers out onto the field, um, and uh, it was getting chewed up and worn out. And so it really wasn't taken care of as as well because you had two sports on it. Um, And there was never any intention that I saw for them to make it a baseball-only facility or to to renovate it and bring it, you know, up to the standards that other uh, clubs had. So so it made it difficult for them to bring in free agents and that sort of thing when you didn't have the – you know, the facilities that other places had. So it wasn't awful. Um, I, I can tell you there's others that are much worse, um, but it wasn't um, – there was never really a bunch of uh, effort put into upgrading it. Appreciate you joining us, Blake. It's been a pleasure. We'll catch up to you soon. Thank you so much. I, tell you, I, I, I don't know what was missing this time that, that made this interview better, but, um, Joe, I appreciate you being there, man. Thanks, Blake. Have a great day. All right, guys. Yeah, have a great day. Blake Stein, McGill Tulin, uh, former major leaguer. Okay, you mentioned the Yankees. Former Spring Hill Badger. Exactly. You you mentioned the Yankees. You have a couple of people you know. Can't you call them up and give your opinions on getting somebody to help them out? <laughs> I tried to get a hold of Jim Hendry. He didn't pick up. Probably well, how about your other buddy there? Uh, Brian Sabian's back with him, too. Uh, no, because I'll just complain. and they, You know, they. it's like me complaining to – you know, my brother and his team, you know, they just they don't want to hear it. They hear it all the time. They know they know the team's not performing very well. Joe, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're expecting Alphonse Taylor. He's got a new coaching gig. In fact, his first full-time coaching gig, former Alabama offensive lineman, uh, ready to join us on the opening kickoff this Friday. We're just a few days away from SEC Media Days. Full coverage on WNSP next week. 6 to 9, the morning show, 3 to 6, the afternoon show, Monday through next Friday. Really looking forward to it, as I'm sure most of you are also. So uh, stay tuned. And then coming up at 7 o'clock, a preview of SEC Media Days with SEC's Paul Feinbaum. My name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 
I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I can't complain. How you doing this morning? Nate? Wonderful. I got Joe Nyland in the studio. Um, so, what? Where? Where is coaching taking you now? What? What's the new gig? All right. So I am now an offensive line coach at Almabar High School um, under head coach Bart Session. And I'm assuming you're coaching offensive linemen. Yeah, yeah. Um, working with the O line. Um, my primary focus is the interior and offensive line. Um, I work alongside Coach Ross, who actually just came in from Mississippi himself. And so we're uh, the new offensive line guys, and we're better get those guys better. What what's what's the most important coaching new? Uh, let's say. Now, let's say coaching news or coaching uh, insider, you can teach an offensive lineman. What do you think is the most important thing? Man, preparation is key. Physicality and effort can be coached. Um, you know, watch all the film you can, prepare for your opponent as best you can, and just be prepared for all the nuances that comes with it. And, uh, Honestly, I just told the guys I live by the standard that nobody outworks an offensive lineman, and that's how we're going to approach the season moving forward. Can you teach holding without getting caught? <laughs> oh, for sure. There's plenty of tricks of the trade, man. Um, like you said, it's all about getting caught. It's only holding if the flag comes out. So take me back to your college days. Uh, toughest defensive lineman you ever had to face when blocking for Alabama? Um, I'd, I'd say that um, that 2015 Florida D line in the SEC championship was pretty tough. Um, those guys were super physical and they came off the ball, and um, they did that for four quarters, and. You know, that's tough to play against, but we made, we, we made it happen. We got the job done, so that's definitely one of the more memorable defensive linemen that I played against during my time at Bama. Now, bring me up to date. You, you, weren't you like a, a an assistant or a volunteer at Davidson for a while? And also, at, weren't you at South Alabama for a while? Yeah, so um, before I got on at South, um, I was at Davidson just volunteering, you know, doing what I could. Uh, giving back to the guys as best I could. Um, and from there, I was hired on at South Alabama as an academic advisor uh, in the general population, just working with the first and second year students, um, working with all incoming freshmen, just getting them started on their track in college. And from there, I moved over to the athletic side of things, and I started working as an athletic counselor for football, working primarily with the offensive side of the ball. And so athletic counselors, is, it's about the same as an academic advisor, except I'm working with a more tailored group of students. I'm now working with all these football players, our student athletes, and I did that for a while, and that essentially just made me realize I've missed football in its entirety and just being around football wasn't enough for me anymore and that's when I decided to make the move and get into coaching. Before I let you go, you want to share a Nick Saban story with us? 
Man, I, I always say uh, one of my favorite Nick stories is, you know, he'd always check the weight charts, and I was always one of the fat boys, the big guys. And, you know, it doesn't matter if I was one pound overweight, two pounds overweight, and Nick didn't like it because he held us accountable for everything. And so he checked those weight charts before we come out to practice. We'll be in our flex lines, you know, stretching. And he'll always walk past me and be like, Shane, I checked that weight chart. <laughs> Tell me when that baby's due, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> and I always got a good kick out of that. I'm just like, Coach, come on now. Two pounds, you gonna, you going to do me like that over two pounds? And I just always thought that was hilarious. That was his way of picking at me. Hey, Shank. I really appreciate you joining us. We'll be in touch with you during this season, of course. Hope to see you in person. Uh, good luck to you at Alma Bryant. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Lee. Alphonse Taylor, one of my favorites. I remember I was recruiting. Uh, I was at Davidson one night, and Bobby Petrino was in uh, visiting Alphonse. And, of course, he was walking around. Alphonse had on an Alabama travel warm-up. I was like, well, I don't think Petrino has a chance here. What's going on at Spring Hill with basketball? Oh, we just got finished with an elite camp a couple weeks ago, and uh, men's basketball is going to have another elite camp coming up August 7th. So uh, they kind of limit it to about 35, but uh, there are spots available. So you can go to shcbadgers.com and get the basketball link if you're interested in signing up. Paul Feinbaum is next, the uh, SEC Network, ESPN, a survivor at ESPN, you know, with all the cuts they had. And Paul, of course, will be very visible, uh, very much uh, on the tube next week in Nashville for SEC Media Days. No, you can't get rid of Paul. No, no way, especially on our morning show. <laughs> can't get rid of him. You know, Nick's trying to get on his show next week. But he's well, doing it in a very unusual way. If you get on the Fine Bomb show, you're a legend. Mark was on it. No, Mark's a legend. Yeah. In There's his own exceptions mind. to every rule. <laughs> I've never been on it. Really? Never. Never been asked. But you've been on with Marty Glickman. Not really. Didn't you work with him? No. I thought you did. He was a guest instructor at one of my classes in college, but no, I've never been with him. We will take a break. Paul Feinbaum is next. This is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. 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 Here are Mark and Lee. It is that time of the morning when we bring in the SEC ESPN broadcaster, talk show host, going to be working all kinds of hours next week for the SEC Media Days. And good morning, Paul. How are you this morning? Lee, good morning. I am great. Thanks for uh, 
having me on this morning. Thank you. Uh, I will tell our – well, I'll tell you. Joe Nyland sitting in for Mark. Anything you say today will go no further. There will be no AL.com stories on you today uh, from here. Well, Joe, Joe, I'm, I'm, I'm really delighted because uh, I used to really enjoy this show until Mark uh, became a big shot at AL.com, and then I became uh, – Scared to death at anything I, I, I would say or even breathe. Uh, he would uh, misconstrue and disseminate throughout the world. Well, I don't want to pick on the sports writers because I know you're one. But <laughs> <laughs> by, by the way, I, I, I'm afraid he learned it all from me. <laughs> A sports writer misconstruing something? <laughs> yeah, how about that? Paul, what do you look forward to the most and what do you least like about SEC Media Days? Well, what I, I think uh, what I do like is is just seeing a lot of people and, and knowing, Lee, that it's the beginning of, of something. Now, the something leads to the second part. At the end of Media Days, a week from today, nothing, nothing will be happening the next week or the week after or the week after. It, it really is it's probably too early um, because, you know, camp doesn't even begin till August. So I think it's a little bit of a false flag for fans. They, they get so revved up and start talking football. And then there's a, there's a little bit of a letdown when it's over because the season is still a long way off, but um, I don't mind it. Uh, I, I think it's, it, it's a circus uh, in, in many ways, but, but it's good for, for the league. It's good for fans. And I think it just kind of breaks up the summer, which uh, is probably the main aspect of, of what we do here. Hey, Paul, Joe Nyland. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Greg Sankey. You know, Mike Slive kind of, I guess you would say, ushered the SEC into the modern area. What, what do you think is Sankey's legacy as being the commissioner of the SEC? Joe, I think it's his vision. Uh, and I hear this from almost every athletic administrator that I talk to uh, they talk about how smart he is how how adept uh, to change he is and really how he sees the future and and I think that's one reason uh, why uh, the league is in such good shape and I think also why the, the league extended him uh, yesterday uh, Sly was a different type of personality uh, he was uh, he was you know very uh, you know, intellectual he was very Thought, uh, thoughtful. Thank he's more of a facilitator, and I think that's that, that's a, that, that, that that works well with the times because words don't really matter a whole lot uh, anymore. It's what you do, uh, and we, we talk about why why is the SEC so you know so well thought of. Well, it starts in football. Uh, that speaks for itself. Uh, the other sports are important. Uh, and then when you, by the time you get around to the spring, the dominance of, of, of women's basketball and baseball. And, and I think what all this means on, from a trickle-down effect is the facilities. And, and, yeah, the commissioner plays a role in that, but he is, the, he is the head. He's the spokesperson. And COVID was where Sankey really uh, cemented his reputation. And, and now with the expansion uh, to almost two years, exactly two years ago with Texas and Oklahoma and everything else that's going on, he is, he has just emerged, even though he, uh, you know, he started off as the new kid on the block. He's now, I think the veteran commissioner. Paul, before we continue, what, do you know what your hours on uh, TV next week for the SEC media days? Um, it's a little bit, uh, the beginning of the week is a little bit chaotic because uh, we come on a little bit later 
the normal, uh, but uh, I know Tuesday, Tuesday nightly, uh, there is a special edition of the SEC Nation show. I think that comes on immediately after us at six, six local time where you are. Um, uh, I'll be, I'll be uh, on sporadically uh, throughout the day, depending on the coach or depending on the circumstances. So it's, uh, I do not know exactly yet. Okay. Other is there our own show of the 14 coaches? Is there one that you really look forward to interviewing next week? I think only because I saw him on on our list. I, I think the very, the very one of the first coaches we talked to Monday is Jimbo Fisher. So uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty interested in interviewing Jimbo Fisher because he is not a guy you hear from very often. Lee, where Kirby Smart has a press conference now and then, or Saban shows up at a charity event. Jimbo is is not uh, as glib as he used to be. So I'm I'm particularly interested in that. I, I'm also interested in in Kirby Smart uh, and, and and what is the tone and tenor of his gathering, uh, they have taken a, Georgia has taken a very unique approach to the issues that they have been dealing with down there. Instead of simply, uh, you know, not only saying we'll do better and we're working on it, they are now getting aggressively, as I'm sure you've noticed, against some of the, uh, the, the media. Uh, they, they, they filed a retraction with the AJC, which I, which is really uh, amazing. Uh, but it's also, it, it, they're, they're drawing a line in the sand. So how does he handle it? I think he had a, a dry run through the other day when he had a news conference, uh, but I think that's going to be one of the bigger moments. And, and uh, you know, let me state the obvious. I mean, you don't know what Nick Saban is going to say or do. You know it will be well thought out. You know it will be uh, very smart. But, you know, Saban's always capable of saying something that you don't expect. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe they'll ask Saban about his future. And, you know, I mean, he, he could turn the place upside down by saying, yeah, you know, I'm uh, of giving retirement some thought. I don't think that's what he's going to say, uh, but you're always all ears when Nick Saban is up there. How about if he pulls a LeBron James and says, I'm not retiring? Like, who thought he was uh, in the first place? <laughs> well, I think, there's, I, I, I think if I had to characterize the mindset of Nick Saban today, uh, I would say that he will say something like that uh, because he now, he is in a dangerous zone, Lee, where he has to, he, he can't make the mistake. Do you remember, it's been about eight or nine years ago, uh, Steve Spurrier showed up at Media Days, and maybe a little bit longer than that. He said, oh, yeah, I'll probably be here another year or two. And all of a sudden, it blew up. Uh, the, the next day, he was walking about saying, uh, you know, I misspoke. I have no intention of retiring. But the second you say you are close to retiring, uh, recruits start saying, why am I going to commit? Why am I going to sign there? So Nick, Nick Saban will, will not say that. Spurrier was one of my favorites. He was the cockiest coach ever at SEC Media Days uh, and the interviews that, uh, like, there weren't many coaches who came out and made the predictions he did and lived up to it. No, he uh, – I'll never forget one time he came in there and literally went after Roy Kramer, uh, the commissioner. And it was – and Kramer was in the back of the room just kind of smiling um, and – he, he would do that. Probably uh, in the early uh, days of media days, uh, Spurrier, Pat Dye would do it 25 years ago. He would, he would walk in there with something, uh, dropping a bomb. But most coaches wouldn't. Uh, I, I think it was maybe three or four years ago, four years ago, I'll never forget Jeremy Pruitt walked in there, literally read a speech for 20 minutes, and I don't think, I'm not even sure he took a question. How about this? Back when we had – the coaches for the radio room, Johnny Majors came in 
And I guess they said uh, the first thing was Johnny, can you you know go through you know your, your roster? He went through everybody, the kickers, the backup centers. <laughs> Ten minutes later, he walked out. We never had a chance to ask him a question. I will never forget that. And the one that really stood out was my very first time, Emery Ballard. Do you remember him? Oh, I sure do. He predicted Mississippi State would go six. I think they were playing six games back then. That's how far back it goes. And they went 0-6, and he got fired. <laughs> he predicted a 6-0 oh, yeah, season. No, I, I do remember that. Uh, I will say that, uh, Lee, I mean, it's evolved over time. You, if you go back 40 years ago, I think uh, I'm, I think 83 or 84 may have been the last year of this. Remember the, the Skyriders tour, which I, I fortunately never went on. I was... Uh, it was uh, as I was just getting, but but I think the first media days was in '85 in Birmingham, and there may not have been 200 people there. And now there's probably over 1,500 credentialed media. And, and by the way, when I say credentialed, I'm I'm speaking very loosely. Yeah, if you can breathe, you get a credential. Pretty much. I once joked, uh, yeah, that my dog was credentialed, and uh, the SEC got very upset about that. Although I think uh, I, uh, it, maybe my last year in Birmingham, Lee, I believe my radio station there, which was the, was an all sports station like yours, uh, I think we had 13 different people credentialed. Wow. Well, we're sending up four. That's an all-time record. I used to go up there alone. Now we're sending four. And I, one of the four, this is what I want to get to, a little lighter side. Nick, come join me. So the other day, I was asking Nick, because he's going up there. I said, are you going to fill out a ballot? Because only about, what, a fifth of the media people actually fill it out. Right. So, Nick, and this has to do with you, Paul. Nick, who did you uh, suggest is going to win the SEC this year? Vanderbilt. Why did you select Vanderbilt? Tell Paul why. Because then I'll probably be the only media member to pick Vanderbilt, therefore creating a story and a headline. Everyone will be in search on who was that crazy guy who picked Vanderbilt to win, and then my career takes off. Nick, that's 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 very ingenious. There, there are two ways to get attention at media day: do something stupid like that, <laughs> or um, or be the the last person there. Uh, we have a contest, ladies. You. Yeah, uh, I was going to tell Nick the, uh, about. In the final few minutes of the show, we do the last media member standing, and it is now a fact that people will literally hang by Thursday afternoon. I mean, you probably have never been there that late. There's nobody there. I mean, we are literally the only people left because it ends about three o'clock, and our show doesn't go off till six. And so we started uh, focusing on the room, and it became a really big deal. Uh, this has been going on about ten years. And uh, the, the the winner will get interviewed in our final segment. So Nick, if you're if you don't get any attention for the Vanderbilt pick, which I promise you, you won't get any on my show. Uh, you, you can hang around and be the last guy there. I told Nick about that. I told him the best way to get on this show is be the last man standing. And I'm glad you brought it up. I'm going to tell you the funniest because I you're right. I would leave. Right after the last coach on Thursday, I couldn't wait to get out of there, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was like after oh, no. 14 coaches. Funniest thing I ever heard. Funniest thing. Um, you're familiar with Chuck Oliver, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we carry uh, Chuck Oliver's show from one to three. So they did this bit where the uh, one of the, the people working with them, because they also, uh, 680, they have a lot of people up there anyway. So they sent – this was in Birmingham, uh, Joe, and they sent the uh, 
one of the reporters out on the street to ask people who they enjoyed listening to more, Paul Feinbaum or Chuck <laughs> Oliver. Nine, none of the people, and they it came back with the responses. They were playing them. None of them know who Chuck was. Everything was about Paul, and they were ganging up on Chuck. And everything grew from that. The questions, a lot of them had to do with Chuck versus Paul. And Paul, of course, Birmingham and so forth, came out on top of him. But some of the responses were hilarious. Well, Paul, my hometown, Paul's a legend in Buffalo, New York. You know, I, <laughs> now, can you believe that? How? How is that? Just because they pick him up on ESPN and, and, and his show, especially the radio show, you know, some of the, the, the antics that came off that became legendary. Well, I tell you, my college roommate was from Buffalo, so I had to be subjected to the Bills for two years. And then um, until recently, my producer was from Rochester, so I had to hear more about the Bills. So, I, I, uh, listen, I'm really happy the Bills lost every Super Bowl. What can I add to this? Oh, come on now, Paul. <laughs> now you're hitting them below the belt. So, Paul, years ago, uh, a friend of mine, I won't name his name, but he uh, he was employed by Ole Miss. And what Nick was talking about, picking Vanderbilt, there would always be on this poll one vote first place for Ole Miss. And it was that guy who sure. was their PA announcer. He always picked Ole Miss to win it. I don't have a problem. I don't care who they pick because who pays attention to this stuff anyway? Yeah, I mean, I, I hate to admit this, but I will, Lee. Uh, I, don't, I cannot remember. It's been 20 years since I voted. I, I don't even remember. It's just not something that I particularly care to do. Uh, it's a fairly lengthy process because you have to put all the all-conference uh, members down. You have to put all the teams down. So, so Nick, uh, good luck. I'm glad you're voting. Uh, but uh, and, and it is something you wait for. It's 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 one of the. And I think this year uh, it will be very. I'm pretty sure now that Alabama will be the pick to win the West. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago, I wasn't so sure. Um, and I think they'll even challenge Georgia for the SEC. Alabama is, is a late riser uh, right now in, in, among media perception. Well, Paul, uh, Nick's about 20, 26 years old, dark, dark hair. He probably will be there as one of the last ones because our crew's not coming back until Friday. They're really milking this for all they can. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, hopefully, I know your schedule is going to be very, very busy next week. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk to you maybe next Friday. All right? Yeah, uh, I, I, I know. I'll, I'm, I'm hoping to leave Thursday night, so uh, uh, Friday, at, Friday at the worst. And if you need a ride back, uh, what, what you got is a van up there, Nick, that you could give ride, uh, Paul a ride back to Charlotte? Yeah, um, it's, only, it's probably only uh, – 13 hours out of your way, Nick. There you don't, go. Don't, don't hold that against me. I think we can get uh, the company to fund the Uber or something. <laughs> okay. Pa Paul, thanks so much. Have a great week. I know you will. Can't wait. See you guys next All week. All right. We better uh, take a break. Uh, Alec Naiman with some cooking news coming up now. We're going to skip the scoreboard. We do have traffic and weather. former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it.
And we're talking now with Alec Naiman of Naiman's Catering. Joe Nyland sitting with me as Mark's on vacation. Nick, of course, uh, filling out his SEC bracket. Good morning. How are you today, Alec? I guess we will <laughs> <It's> like <laughs> programming on, as we, on the fly. Well, one thing we are getting ready for is the SEC Media Days. Uh, we'll, be, we'll have full coverage. We're sending up four of our talented staff to cover SEC Media Days, Alex. So we'll be looking forward to that next week. You mentioned about fishing. There's a Blue Marlin Grand Championship going down there at the wharf. Uh, Jim Cox sent some notes over to me on that. That's going on now. Joe, you got anything uh, cooking-wise? You need any advice from Alex for this weekend? Don't let me near a grill. I'm terrible with it. So am I. I don't even. I don't even grill anymore, Alex. I've given it up. I'd rather come down to Naaman's Catering and grab some gumbo. <laughs> we can make life easy for you. You know. Listen, I, I just got to tell you. You know, it's a woman loves a man that can cook. Now, so if you can't cook, you better be careful. All right. So that's all I got to tell you. <laughs> You have a wonderful day, Alec. Thank you so much. <laughs> Y'all have a great one, guys. Yeah, the, the complaints <laughs> I was getting with my grill was that the briquettes were old. They, they, they weren't getting the, the aroma, the flavor when I was doing burgers. I said, the heck with it. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not going to put up with that. <laughs> so I know I don't, I don't, I'm not, I, like, I have a son-in-law who's really, really good. I mean, at that stuff. But I'm not. I don't have the patience. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and you know, and they and they put the the thermometers in there, and they have all these little gizmos and gadgets. I don't have any of that stuff. I like the old charcoal grill, but the ta- they take so long to 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 get used. You know, everybody uses gas grills now, but hey, I just never have had a lot of patience with it. I didn't either. Uh, you mentioned your elite camp. When does that start? August seventh. And, uh, you know, you can contact us at the, the uh, athletic office or go online at SHC Badgers. We've also got our fall sports schedules up online now. So volleyball and our soccer, you know, we play in the Gulf South and soccer, very competitive soccer league with Delta State and AUM and West Florida, Alabama, Huntsville. And then, of course, uh, volleyball, you know, our national national contending volleyball team and coach peggy martin's got another good squad you mentioned your family how big it was 
you have your one of your sisters coming on. Is she like younger than you, or she's the youngest sister? The youngest she's sister, quite a bit younger than me. All right, and she was with the NCAA, and Joe Nyland is going to have a conversation with Bridget Nyland, and then later on, another member of your family is coming aboard. Yeah, my nephew Andy Nyland, too, who was out at the summer league basketball. And he was just with the Milwaukee Bucks, I think, right? Yeah, for a couple of years. Yeah. That's great. All right, so stick around for that. It's Joe Nyland reunion time. Family members coming on. Talk NCAA. Talk Summer League Basketball. today yeah I you think i'm doing okay that's some jersey with bruce of course uh this segment brought to you by kemco metal builders joe why don't you introduce our next guest well we got uh, my youngest sister coming on bridget nyland who worked for a long time in indianapolis with the ncaa she's now the dean of the college of hospitality and sports management at niagara University up in the fall, Niagara Falls. She also was the athletic director at Damon College. Uh, so good morning, Bridget. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Lee. How are you? Wonderful. Uh, Joe's going to do most of the interview, but when you said it, it is Niagara? It's Niagara University, yeah. We're a member of the Metro Atlantic Conference Division One up in Niagara Falls, New York. Does Cal Murphy ever come back? He does. He comes back pretty regularly. We actually, you know, typically we have a, a Cal Murphy uh, bobblehead at least once every other couple of years and different variations. And uh, he's been uh, not only a great student-athlete and player, but a great alumnus and supporter of the university generally. I once broadcast a game at Niagara where he scored 68 points, and that was before the three-point shot. Isn't that fascinating? The, the gentlemen who were able to accomplish those point feats long before the three-point line. And Bridget, you wouldn't remember this because you weren't born yet, but I was at that game with my father, your dad, and uh, Lee right. was broadcast. We didn't know each no, other. We didn't back know then. each other then. Oh, I wish I did, yeah. though. Yeah, so, but, uh, well, how are things going at Niagara? Everything good, right? You know, everything's good. I mean, uh, I think the landscape in higher ed for uh, small colleges generally are challenging. Um, and I think those that are Division One uh, and the Division One landscape. But um, fortunately for us, we have lots of students who, who want to enter the field of hospitality, event, or sport management. So we're, we're lucky to be on the upside of it. But uh, definitely when, when we talk about just the changing landscapes of of um, college athletics that seems to be changing literally, uh, we used to say by the day, but I think we're now saying by the minute. Um, I think higher ed is also in kind of a, a similar situation, but so far so good, and I think that's many of uh, many how many of us are are living our professional lives these days. Well, to get get on about the NCAA, uh, one of the questions that Lee had, and we kind of talked about Monday, was the NCAA's power versus state law. Can the NCA and I, I use Texas for example, Texas A&M, who virtually is is using their collective uh, NIL to pay student athletes, and state law they hope is protecting them. Can the NCAA uh, uh, overcome that state law? 
You know, Joe, I think um, as a voluntary association, uh, they, you know, country clubs, right? Like the country clubs and say, you can have, you can wear whatever you want in the United States, as long as it's not, you know, obscene. Um, you can wear whatever you want, but if you want to belong to the club, you can't wear jeans, right? So I, mean, I know that simplifies it a lot, but it, it's really like the NCAA. If you want to belong to the NCAA, by all means, you have to follow their rules. I think, you know, that's one thing to say, you know, no jeans at the country club. It's another thing to say, this is how we're going to dictate you, how you do your, your business operations. And I think what you're seeing among Texas A&M and some of the schools that are, are in states in which have uh, maybe not only, uh, I would say, uh, incredibly, incredibly open-ended NIL rules, but also there's several states that have come out, you know, my state being one of them, New York, saying, hey, listen, if there's an NCAA rule that, that, that trumps our rule, you have – they're saying the opposite of what the NCAA said on June 27th. They're saying this law applies. And so you set up this scenario where you have a voluntary organization that's been around since the early 20th century that's been built on kind of this interdependence of we will all agree to abide – by these rules, and now they have actually put out a memo that's a memo. It's not a piece of legislation. It wasn't voted on by the membership, which I think is really important to note that it did not necessarily get the endorsement of a legislative vote through the NCA process of basically saying whatever we issue in NCA NIL guidance trumps state law, and you have a group of schools and a group of powerful schools and powerful ADs saying no. We're going to follow our NCA. We're going to follow our state laws. And so the legal chatter out there is how does the NCA possibly have any way of enforcing this kind of uh, – and, and by the way, almost the very first time that I've ever seen, and I did a little research on this, the NCA come out with such a bold statement of saying our rules trump state law. You know, they it obviously as a voluntary association, they can always do that at the risk of losing their members. That's the thing, right? If you don't want to, you know, going back to my country club, if you don't want to join a club that you don't like the dress code, then you find another club to join. It's a little bit different in college sports, right? Certainly, though, it could spur, you know, spinoff discussions of if you have enough of these schools, enough of these powerful schools saying, we don't like what's coming out of the NCAA on NIL. We like what's in our state. Um, we're going to go that direction. So I, I don't think the NCA really has the ability to enforce this other than saying we're going to penalize you. And to date, they've really only issued one quote unquote penalty under this. And it hasn't been against, uh, it hasn't been against doing any of the things that they forbid in the collective as much as it is against individual NIL deals. So it's, so many, some people are calling it toothless because it really puts the NCA in a position to, to do something they haven't done a lot of, which is hand out some really stark penalties to some of their most powerful members. Well, that gets to the other question Lee and I have been discussing is, does the NCA really have the personnel and the finances to mm -hmm. investigate and enforce the rules? It doesn't, you know, and you have some, and I'll, I'll say this, I've always said some of the best people I've ever worked with worked at the NCA. Sometimes they take it on the chin because they, they are doing the, they are enforcing the rules that their members adopt. And sometimes their members come out and criticize the rules. Right. Um, but, and they have some bright people, but what they don't have, and it has always hurt them, especially in the enforcement realm is they do not have subpoena power and they do not have the simple investigatory uh, tools that are needed 
to to go after some of the stuff and to investigate what these collectives are doing and how they're doing operations and whether a school is revenue sharing. And some of the things that came out in that June memo that really would require, A, a ton of cooperation from the schools, um, and B, a, a really uh, a well-equipped subpoena enforceable uh, enforcement staff, which they don't have. Um, despite some really great talent there, they don't have some of the tools that most investigators or state prosecutors would have, um, or even attorneys would have to move forward uh, with investigations. All right. You, as a former student athlete, I know you, you'll be conflicted on this, but as a former student athlete and then a, an administrator, what's your true feeling on the NIL? I think so. As many people know that worked with me, I started out as a bit of, of a, a troublemaker in the world of college sports, really advocating for more student athlete rights. I come from an era in which as a full scholarship athlete, I wasn't even allowed to hold a job. I couldn't even go during the school year and get a job that paid me, um, you know, lifeguarding or coaching a kid or, or waiting tables. Um, that was 19, it was only 1997 that that changed. And there was this fear back then of don't let this, you know, this kind of tight wrap hold on student athletes. And I think that, that tight hold that they had on student athletes uh, started to unravel with just the tremendous amount of money that started to flow in from television deals and the tremendous amount of money that started to flow into coaches' salaries, top-level administrator salaries. You know, that when you're – when the and I remember being around the table as a rep on the MCA Student Athlete Advisory Committee in 1998 when we were dealing with some of the fallout from the law v. MCAA antitrust lawsuit. And I remember a commissioner saying that, we are going to find ourselves in more undefensible positions the more we start to take the money that is on the table. And I think that's what you're seeing, Joe, is that, you know, it was one thing when you had a coach making 150000 and him kind of having or her having the ability to kind of regulate what a student athlete might be doing or taking. But when you have, you know, millions going into the coaches' pockets and the athletic administrator pockets, and not to say what's going into the university coffers, but you're still trying to keep this tight wrap hold on what student athletes can do, that's the problem because that is antitrust, right? You're letting one group benefit a group that is, and another group you're constricting. It's the, it's the, it's the outgrowth of what we're seeing. And I don't know if you were a plaintiff, Joe, in that, that restricted earnings coach, but what we're seeing from that is all the outgrowth of that case back in the late 90s of law v. NCA when a group of college coaches challenged the NCA's ability to regulate their earnings. I think what's going to be interesting on the landscape is all the stuff that's kind of stewing at the same time, but we have to watch what's going on in the labor round because there are some significant cases moving through the labor side of this. And at the end of the day, the student athletes want, many of them at the high level institution want that designation of employee and then, then everything changes, right? And so there's some couple things going on. The last thing I'll say is the push for federal legislation, which you may be asking me about. There's a couple bills out there. There's one from your senator down there, Senator Tuberville, which obviously is a little bit more coach institution friendly. There's some that's been out there that are a little bit more student athlete friendly. And that's going to be the big rub is that, you know, we have a very divided Congress, a very divided nation at times. And college sports, you have some very divided people. Some people are pro-student athlete that feel like, hey, it's the coaches and the athletic directors and the commissioners and the 
uh, colleges are going to make millions of dollars off of the student athletes. They should have that ability. Then, of course, you have some folks trying to, to put some guardrails on that from the administration side because they realize that this could just be the unfolding of, you know, could be the unraveling of college sports as we know it. Yeah, and that 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 was one of the questions. Do you, is it wise for the NCA to really let the federal government get involved in in membership issues? You know, for years the NCA has pushed back against that. So I think what you're seeing with Charlie Baker and the hiring of Charlie Baker is a real pivot. Um, you know, and I can remember because again, I went to go work for. Oddly enough, the NCA ended up hiring me after um, I spent on the NCA Student Athlete Advisory Committee. And one of the things I worked on was this team that we used to call athletic certification. And we used to travel down to all the schools and make sure the schools were basically operating under our rules, right? Uh, the NCA's rules. And we did that, that outgrowth, that group, the group of people I was hired with, we did that because at the time, the federal government was saying, NCA, you have to go in and get your schools in order or we're going we're gonna to get involved. And the NCA was quick to react and say, no, 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 we'll come up with our own, our own way of doing that. And so, then that's what they've done typically over the years. But now, again, it's it's all about the money, Joe. It always is. It's it's about the growth of the prof uh, the college sports market, and especially in those areas where there's not a prominent pro sport market, in which it has become the quasi pro sports market, and especially down by where you guys are. And there's just so much money that's evolved with television, with streaming, with apps that, and with just the general interest in college sports and. The NCA's got to figure out a way to get their arms around it. Not just the folks in Indianapolis, not just Charlie Baker, but really all the leadership. And then there's that question of what Division One is dealing with is like a foreign language to Division Two and Three, and that's where the bulk of their members are. So, and they're just dealing with trying to get kids in this in their colleges and in the and in, in the challenges that people have in higher ed generally. So it's such an interesting time for all of this to be unraveling another good spectator sport to watch in some ways. Bridget Nyland. Bridget Nyland joining us this morning on the opening kickoff this Friday, the younger sister of Joan Nyland, who's my co-host today. Bridget, there's always been this, um, I guess, questions raised on investigations. For I'll give you an example, and I, and I may be off on my timeline, timeline, but like in 2017, that's when that FBI report came out about the mm -hmm. coaches and so forth, and yet it wasn't until recently that they finally came down on LSU, what, four or five years later? Why does it take so long? Again, it goes back to that cooperation piece. And I think in that instance, Lee, too, there was some sort of um, deferral and credence given to what was the, you know, if the FBI was in there doing an investigation, you have to let them kind of wrap up that criminal side before then you can look at the, uh, voluntary association, voluntary association side, and a, and a violation of those rules. So I think that's why you saw as long as you did on the basketball stuff. Um, I also think, and I, I remember when the basketball news broke again. That was another moment where people were convinced that there was going to be massive change now in the college basketball regulation and oversight. And I don't know if we've seen that. I don't even you know, given the attention that got in 2017, given the actual number of people and the people that actually did end up uh, either getting uh, uh, in trouble by the, with the NCA or serving jail time was not nearly the scale that people thought it would be. Um, I think it goes back to, and this goes back to Joe's point of, you can send a memo out on June 27th to all your members saying that 
this, these are the rules, but the ability and the speed at which the NCA can actually investigate things is just not at par to what, to what some of this requires. And remember, you have a whole legal community, a lot of, uh, a lot of people I know from my legal life um, that had that never really even played a college sport, which you don't need to to know the, the legal landscape. But there's a number of law firms and lawyers that have cropped up on the side of NIL or college basketball coach, or even if you look up, you know, quickly what's happening to two coaches. Back in the day, those two coaches would be dismissed up in uh, Northwestern at West Virginia. They would be dismissed, and and people would move on. You can see quickly though even those folks have. Uh, lawyered up, so to speak. And anytime you do that, and the NCAA deals with that on a regular basis, you are going to see a dramatic flag in the speed in which investigations can move. And Bridget should know, she's also a lawyer, worked for the Department of Justice. So I don't know if you can hang that nowadays. Bridget, a, Bridget yeah. let me throw one thing out. I before. don't know, yeah. Shoot. Sorry, Lee, go ahead. Bridget, a quick thought. Uh, Hypothetical, if if you were in charge of the NCAA today, what would be the one thing that you would try to really get done, push, what would be your the, the one vision you had to try to get things changed around? I think that it's, it's kind of what Charlie Baker's doing. I think he's doing exactly really the only thing they can do right now, which is to go to the federal government for help. Honestly, it's, it, that's, that's why I believe he was hired because he's such a different hire from what we've seen in leadership in the past. Um, and, I mean, that's what I would do as a leader in terms of I'm in charge of this organization. I mean, I think part of my philosophy with college athletics and why I returned to the academic side and being a professor and training our future sport managers uh, was just the, the schizophrenia that exists in college sports. So uh, I don't think I'd ever want or see that because I really think we've moved far away from the days where, and I'll even go, I don't know how much coaches get to coach as much as they, you know, your head coaches get to manage these large, almost business-like affairs, and really just the changed relationships in the uh, environment, um, and, and unions haven't even entered into the picture. But I mean, we look at the turnover on college rosters. I mean, so you've got portal issue, but before you can address the portal issue, you have to address the money issue. Um, but I would go after the money issue first, um, and then. If he's not successful or they are not successful, because certainly there's a lot of college leaders that have testified before Congress trying to get this uh, antitrust exemption and NIL legislation, if they're not successful, then they that leader has to sit down and somehow go back to way back when at the critical moments of the NCA and get the Texas A&M's and the Big 12s and the SECs and all those schools that, that truly hold the power um, to really get them on the same page about this and get some ground rules on the collective. And, and that would, I don't, I don't know if that's Charlie Baker or some other really skilled, um, skilled person to get the membership back in line. Or I think you're going to start to see internal fractures where, where they're going to be pushing back against memos like this in the way they are. That's uh, an issue with Portal, and I'm sure you and Joe will be talking about the Portal. Oh, the, the portal—that's <laughs> another issue. What, two thousand, three thousand players in there? Yep. Hey, Bridget, out of curiosity, Niagara University—how far away are you from Niagara Falls? Uh, three miles, not even. And actually, we look over the beautiful uh, Niagara Gorge and right into Canada. It's a beautiful, picturesque campus. So, uh, uh, great place to study, Lee. Great I'd place. I'd say to study. It, that beats Indianapolis, doesn't it? <laughs> Hey, thank you it so does. much. I will tell you, there was a landscape move in that one. But I love Indy. Got to love that Midwestern hospitality. 
thank you ever so much. It's been a pleasure. I asked Joe to get you on today. He came through. So thanks to the Nyland family today. Thanks, Bridge. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care. Bye. So now your nephew, Andy? Yeah, Andy. He's coming up at 8. Talk basketball. That'll get Nick's interest. Uh, Nick, big yeah, NBA he was fan. out in Vegas. So. Yeah, out in Vegas for the summer league. All right, let's take a break now. We have a short segment coming back. And uh, again, at 8, uh, we've got Andy Nyland. And then at 8.30, uh, Jake Crane. And then Nick's going to tell us all about our coverage next week for the SEC Media Days. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNFP. Chick-fil-A. I could eat there seven times a day. Where the people laugh and children play. Oh, I'm in love with Chick-fil-A. To give away a Chick-fil-A. Here's what happened. Now, LeBron James earlier this week and, and getting the SB record-breaking performance announced that he's going to continue to play, which we all knew anyway. But anyway, uh, he put down, I'd say rumors, but there weren't any as far as that he was not going to play. So he's entering his 21st year. He's just a handful of players, Joe, who have played in the NBA that long. Name the player who has played the longest, I think, 22 years that he played. Uh, 694-1055. Give Nick a call. And if you know the answer, the player who played the longest, longest stint in the NBA. Got to ask you a question. We had Bridget, your younger sister, on. So in all your years of coaching, even down in Tampa or here in Mobile or at Spring Hill or anywhere, did you ever call her and just to get some advice on, on a player or something or just to find out how the NCAA? Because even though you weren't Division One, still they, they take care of Division Two and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we, we talked on some But, things. I mean, were there any issues that came up where you had to call her and say, hey, help me out? The, the one, and I, I might have told this story before, when she was start, first starting out, at, at, when she was done uh, running at the University of Buffalo, she was working as a compliance officer there. And uh, she happened to be running in the gym one day. And, uh, well, she asked, she asked this question to my father, who was a college coach at one time, my brother, and then me. She said, you know, what would you do if you're a compliance officer and you're running in the gym and you notice that the basketball coaches are working out a prospect during a dead period? <laughs> and uh, so I said, well, what is a compliance officer doing running in the gym? <laughs> and she said, that's the same thing your dad said and your brother said. <laughs> I said, yeah, you need to stay away from the gym or you're going to find something you don't want to look at. <laughs> but she, you know, she's, you know, being a trained attorney, she's very, uh, very much a stickler for rules and compliance. But, uh, you know, I would call on some of those things or especially when some of these, like when the she mentioned the restricted earnings thing, which I was not part of, but I knew several coaches that were you know, some of those lawsuits that were going through the Ed O'Bannon case and that. And, you know, most of the time, that's where the NCAA has gotten in trouble. They just, they can't defend themselves against certain things. Don't or didn't most basketball programs work out illegally? 
Uh, Generally speaking, I'm aware of some. Well, just because you were up there around Rutgers and that outlaw program. No, most people do try to follow the rules, but, you know, there, there's, you know, I mean, if a player comes in and you want to take a look at him, you know, in the old days you can Okay, let's do back up here, though. But, like, um, back when I always thought they always had that date, October 15th, you could start practice. Now they're practicing all during the summer. Your coaches at Spring Hill are working out players. They always tell me they're working out players. I, I don't know what the new rules are. Are there rules? Yeah, there are rules, and, and most coaches do do follow the rules, and, and there's certain time periods. They've, they've done a better job. The NCA, because of the membership requests, has done a better job to try to be uh, student-athlete friendly and developmental friendly. Uh, you know, some of the tight rules they put down especially really hurt the Olympic sports. When they went to the 20-hour the week as far as athletic-related activities, you know, the Olympic swimmers, they train much, much more than 20 hours a week. And, and so, you know, legislation, and this is what uh, people don't understand and Bridget mentioned is, the rules come from the body, from the institutions. So, you know, sometimes it takes a while, just like government, to figure out what's the best rule. Did, did she ever serve on a committee of infractions at all? No, but it, my uncle did. He, but wasn't he on the SMU? Yes. He was one of the ones that gave him the death penalty, yes, right? Yes, he did. Do you ever talk to him about that? Well, I did back in the day, yeah. That's right. I he remember was a that. stickler for rules. They put SMU out of business for, what, two years, I think yep. it was? Yep. It took them forever to get back. And they always refer to that, the SMU death penalty. And your uncle was on that committee? Yes, he was, Tom Nyland. Andy Nyland is next. Uh, talk uh, Summer League basketball, Brandon Miller, Wambayana, and anything else that occurred out there in Vegas. is the opening kickoff on the country's first FM all-sports radio station, 105.5 FM WNSP and WNSP.com. The latest sports, news, traffic, weather, and timely guests with Mark Heim and Lee Shermanian. The opening kickoff. kickoff. Here are Mark and Lee. All right, this is it for me. My, My days without Mark comes to an end in this hour, Joe. Thank you for coming in. Thanks to all of our guest hosts. Of course, Joe, you, you're a two-timer this week. Starting Danny Cordy, finish. Joe Godfrey, Dan Jennings. Been a, uh, a lot of good guests. And I guess we're going to continue along those lines. Our next guest is? Andy Nyland. Uh, Andy's my nephew, my brother Dave's boy. Played at Penn State Barron. Great three-point shooter. Had a great college career and uh, spent the last, well, he was with St. Francis of Pennsylvania as an assistant, and then he's been with the Milwaukee Bucks the last two years. But uh, uh, he's, uh, he's Eric Spolstra in training. That's what that's what we envision him as. Andy, good morning. Hey, good morning. Happy to be on. Are you still out in Vegas? No, I just got back uh, last night, actually. So I'm back in, uh, just got back the other day. Are you buying into all this hype about Wembiana? You know what? He's uh, I think he might be the real deal. Um, 
we'll see if his body can hold up, but I, I really do think he's the real deal, and all the scouts think the same way out there. Um, kind of seven foot four and can move like that and can shoot it and has the skill level. Um, he seems to be all of it. It just, I guess, we'll see if his body can hold up with the physicality of the NBA. Yeah, Andy, uh, you know, looking looking at him, you know, when you see him on TV versus you saw him in person, uh, he looks a little bit or a little bit thicker than Chet Hol- Holmgren. But do, do you think, you know, after being in the league a couple of years and looking at the bodies, do you think he's going to be able to physically hold up? I think he's going to have to take a year, maybe a year and a half of really just um, – getting in the weight room and getting with those uh, the PT guys and just gaining 15 pounds, kind of what Chet did. Chet, had took, I mean, obviously got hurt, but he had the year of just gaining a bunch of weight, and he looks better now. The pitcher's going to need to do something very similar to that where he just needs to um, get used to the physicality of the league and just probably gain like 15 more pounds um, from the, I think, really succeed. Do you think, I mean, and this is – and I don't know. I mean, you've only been with the the Bucks a couple of years, but do you think they'll try to pace him as far as number of minutes just to protect their investment, or are they going to throw throw him to the wolves and just let him learn and learn how to to deal with that physicality? No, I think I think you're right. I think it's probably going to be a slow process in him playing some really big big minutes. Um, don't know how good the rest of their roster is. I know they were. Obviously, lottery team last year. Don't know if they're ready to make the playoffs yet. Uh, unless, of course, they get like Dame Lillard or something like that. But um, I could see it being a slow build-up to maybe getting to 32 to 35 minutes a game. Um, but like you said, he, he's a big investment for them. They don't, definitely don't want to um, overuse that right away. Uh, speaking of home, Groom, because I did see him play a little bit uh, in the summer league, and Jabari Smith played a few games. What's the rationale of using guys that have already played in the summer league? Why, why would why would you do that as a team? I think the biggest thing is just getting game reps, um, particularly underneath the lights. Um, it's hard to find those opportunities to actually do that. Um, in the NBA, there's you don't practice all that much. So anytime you can get, you know, other teams playing against good on good, um, you have to take advantage of it. Um, Jabari Smith, I mean, he had a great year uh, for Houston. I think they shut him down last night. I don't think he played last night. But um, anytime you can get game-like looks underneath pressure situations, you got to take advantage of it. I think that's kind of the rationale that a lot of NBA guys are doing right now. I know you were out in Vegas uh, job hunting a little bit too, but is is Vegas become kind of like the coaches' convention, the Final Four of the NBA? Yeah, absolutely. Every team's out there, um, but it's also all the players are out there too. Like a lot of the veterans will go out there, they'll get their workouts in during the day with a lot of the assistants, and then you know they'll have their fun at night or whatever. And then there's also Free agents will be out there trying to find jobs, um, so they have workouts throughout the day. Um, so all the executives are out there too. Then there's also overseas uh, agents trying to find jobs and um, trying to connect with front office people. So it really has become a, a massive ordeal. Um, I think it's only just going to get bigger from here on out as well. All right, 
Everybody wants to know here in the state, Brandon Miller. He didn't perform great, and I know he didn't play last night, but what was your perception of watching Miller play? I think particularly watching him in the, the, or the, the California League or the Salt Lake City League, everyone he was in, um, he's going to be fine. It's, it's just He just needs a little bit of time. His body needs a little bit of work as well. Um, but he shoots, he shoots it well. He's 6'9". Um, he'll be fine. It's hard to put too much, uh, you know, really put a lot of stock in these summer league games because you only have about two or three practices with their actual team, and they kind of storm right into the woods. Um, can't take too much stock into uh, thinking that if they didn't perform too well, um, that's what it's going to be like during the regular season. Um, he just needs some more reps. Um, he's still a young guy. Um, just physically needs to get a little bit, uh, a little bit stronger. And then, but he'll be fine. He, he, he's a good player. Uh, he shoots the ball, um, has some size to him as well. So he'll be, he'll be fine. Yeah, and you've been through the the league a couple of years. I mean the the eighty two game schedule, the preseason, the postseason. Do, do the college guys have any clue of what that pace is when they show up? I think it's it's, it's definitely different. Um, a lot of rookies will hit a wall, particularly in like that middle of January. You know, they call it the dog days, where it's like, oh, not even about halfway through the year, and they've been playing since October. The travel is a little bit different. You're playing four times a week instead of probably two times a week like you do in college, and then you just every day the com- the competitiveness that you're going against the best in the world. Um, it's probably just a little different than what they're used to. Um, there's no buy games. Like you're, you're going against someone fighting for their for their job. Um, so it's, it's a little different. And I think you see a lot of these rookies hit a wall. Um, but it all kind of depends on the situation. Andy Nyland joining us in this segment. Andy, I'm Lou Shervanian, uh, co-host with Joe Nyland for the um, opening kickoff. Any, uh, did you hear much talk about this in-season tournament that Adam Silver came across with? Does it seem much reaction for it or against it? So it, they, uh, well, they also announced it's going to be in Las Vegas. Um, they didn't. They, obviously, the rules came out. They thought it was going to be a, a nice little mix-up. I know it's going to be the weekend of uh, where this kind of college football season winding down. So they, they tried to pick a window where it gained a little bit of traction with the NBA not interfering with that, that college football, um, the championship weekend, and then also before the playoffs start. So uh, I know the league's very excited about it. Uh, I don't know the players and coaches have really thought too much about it quite yet. Um, but it's, it's uh, something that I think will bring a lot of excitement and more in fan engagement uh, during the middle of the year when they don't normally get that much. It, it's been a long time since I've been in Vegas, but I, one thing I remember getting off the airplane there, that you go through the airport, there are slot machines. When you at, when you enter the basketball arena, do they have slot machines in there? No, not in uh, UNLV, but pretty much everywhere else you go, there is. So been having UNLV. Hey, Andy, Lee, Lee did the Syracuse game where Calvin Murphy scored 68 points up at Niagara. I actually was at the game with your grandfather, and we just pulled up the box score. Calvin took 46 shots in the game. 
Did you ever take – I know your dad did, but did you ever take that many shots in a game? No, I wasn't allowed to shoot that many times. That's a lot. 46 is a lot of times. But he hit he hit 24, and, and they didn't have the three-point shot in those days, and a lot of those were deep threes. Oh, I'm sure he was or went close to 80 probably then if that was um, – that's amazing. Tell us something about Giannis that we don't know. Giannis, I would say, is um, maybe the most professional guy that I've ever met. Um, comes in every day and just wants to work. Um, not a whole lot of uh, nonsense to him. And when he when he steps on the floor, it's just kind of a different vibe. Um, everyone kind of he just means business right away. He wants to show up. He wants to do his job. Uh, he wants to provide for his family. He wants to go home. It's very different than some of the other superstars throughout the league. Um, he's all about business. You know, you know, he really just wants to perform. Um, just from his background, coming from a, um, a poor family and a, a poor upbringing, I almost think there's a lot of a fear factor going into it that he just doesn't want to ever lose that, um, ever go back to the situation that he came from. Andy, uh, Joe mentioned that you've, you're kind of like the uh, Eric Spolstra starting out in the video. What's your timetable becoming a head coach in the NBA? <laughs> uh, I appreciate uh, Joe saying that. I don't, I don't know if that's uh, – hopefully that's the track, but uh, I got a long ways to go. Hopefully just kind of keep moving up the ladder and we'll see what happens next. Uh, what I need to know, Andy, is did you get the camp check for working camp yet? <laughs> I'm still uh, looking at the, the savings account. I still haven't got anything uh, yeah. uh, from the from the from Penn State yet. So I'm still waiting on that one. Yeah, you'll probably be waiting a while. I know that guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you better pull the fast one on me for sure. Can't thank you enough, Andy. I hope to catch up to you soon then, and good luck uh, in your pursuit of NBA positions. And I really appreciate you coming aboard. Thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I don't have you much longer golf at spring hill today am i on the docket with you am i on the schedule to go out and play today you don't even have clubs i have an extra set in the car though i just need two three clubs i just need a putter and a driver what else do you need well we played in the scramble last night dr copeland and i uh, our vice president of enrollment and advancement and uh, didn't play very well but yeah the course is in great shape well maybe not after i played it and tore it up last night but do you have to do you replace your divots i try to but I was so bad, I wasn't even making divots. Uh, no, we had a good time in the scramble. They do a Thursday night scramble. Uh, uh, actually, Randy's nephew was out there. Uh, How many people can actually say that they have a job where they can come out in about 30 feet, they can just go on the golf course? I just wish I could do it more often. Well, you're the AD. You can do anything you want. No, it's not like that. <laughs> But, no, come on out. You know, if you want to get in a good round of golf, the course is in great shape. Uh, John Michael, Phil Barnett, Bill Catcherit, the guys will take care of you. I also noticed you sent out press releases at men's and women's soccer. How many? I, I know I'm not going to get the exact answer, but are there many programs in the United States that have both men's and women's soccer now? Yeah, at the small college level, most schools have it. And, uh, you know, soccer is, is a tremendous sport and a very big youth sport. So, uh you know, most most small colleges have, it, especially women's soccer. I know you got to go. Appreciate you coming in. No thanks. Thanks, thanks for, for lining up me. the family. <laughs>
Well, we're trying to get some people in here and do something. So, so basically, with your family and you're giving me numbers, we only had about what one percent of them on today. Yeah, no, we I do have a large family. Indeed, you do. Thank you so much, Joe Nyland, uh, joining me. Uh, John Ricchetti will be next with a golf update. Jay Crane, uh, and then of course Nick and I will be talking about next week. Better be listening for SEC Media Days. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Time now for the uh, John Ricchetti Miller Lite Golf Report. Johnny, good morning. How are you today? No, not yet. We don't have John Ricchetti ready to go. All right. Well, I can wait. We'll be patient. Uh, coming up at 830 is Jay Crane. All right. Johnny is ready to go now. Johnny, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Uh, I'm doing good, Lee. Doing good. Looks like uh, possibly today we could, uh, I don't could be some chance for some people playing some afternoon golf. Um, and I don't want to keep, uh, I don't want to sabotage it, but it's, from understanding that uh, it's been so much rain in Mobile, Baldwin County, that it's really affected everybody's golf play. And hopefully the weather cooperates because they got the annual Woody Woodall Invitational, named after the longtime uh, director of golf head professional at the Country Club of Mobile. Players from all over the southeast will be at the Country Club of Mobile this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, they're getting ready to tee off this morning. So hopefully keep your fingers crossed and they can get that tournament in and uh, – and plus everybody else get a chance to hopefully play some golf over the weekend. Speaking of playing some golf, uh, I guess the, the big news is the Scottish Open as players get ready for the Open Championship uh, next week. And I'll tell you, they're playing some really good golf over in Scot in Scotland. And uh, Terrell Hatton, the eight under par, 62 in round two, as he is tied for the lead with Tom Kim at nine under par as play is underway. Obviously, a lot of players have finished as they're six hours ahead of us. Rory McIlroy with that opened up with a six under par 64 in in the first round. He's on the golf course as we speak. He's at two under par. He's at eight under par. One shot back. Scotty Scheffler uh, is hot on a great round today, 64 today. So a slew of players. Uh, making a run at the Scottish Open. Also, our own Robbie Shelton, I believe, the first time he's played over there in the field, he shot a three over par, 73 in round one. He's scheduled to tee off here momentarily. He's going to have to shoot a really good round today if he's going to be around on the weekend. The Barbersall Championship in the U.S., uh, another event that goes uh, simultaneously with this event, and uh, Lucas Glover. Playing some great golf. Opened up with a nine under par round yesterday. He's one under par. He is your leader, and he is on the course as we speak in Kentucky. Also, a shout out to the PGA Junior Championship at Azalea City. Uh, the last few days, battling the weather and rain, they got it in. And uh, UMS Wright's Ken Brown Jr. punched his ticket to the National Championship, which will take place in Arkansas 
in August, which is a huge tournament, and had a slew of other players, local players, making the alternate list. So congratulations to all the young players that advanced to the P national PGA Championship in August. So a lot going on, Lee. Just got to hopefully uh, get some weather cooperation and get some folks locally be able to chance to play some golf. Appreciate you joining us, Johnny. Enjoy the week, and we'll check in with you Monday. All right, have a great weekend. Guys. You bet. All right, Jake Crane, Crane Associates, podcast fame, will be joining us. He's up in Nashville. That's where the SEC Media Days is being held. He'll give us his take on that, some of the storylines uh, when we come back. And then uh, Nick will go through our itinerary next week, things to expect next week from Nashville, as he and three others associated with WNSP We'll be leaving Sunday or and getting into Nashville Sunday to begin our coverage on Monday. Wall-to-wall -wall coverage next week. And it's presented by Greer as one of our uh, major sponsors. So uh, we'll talk to you in just a few minutes. to next week or actually the weekend being on the road and getting up to nashville for sec media days our coverage thanks to pat's industrial and auto supply and greer's markets so uh starting next monday morning six to nine you know one of the uh, attractions we have next monday phil Steele. i think many of you are very familiar with that uh, college edition they come out it's like the bible where he predicts every game and everything so uh, Phil's going to be on with us next Monday morning from 7.30 to 8 to go through, well, much of what you'd like to know about uh, coverage on college uh, football. And then, of course, our coverage with uh, SEC Media. Now, obviously, they don't get going till around 11.30. That's when the commissioner, Greg Sankey, who's got a new extension contract, he's going to be talking. But uh, the coaches start coming in. Uh, right after that, they'll have three coaches. I know LSU and Missouri on the docket, but let me let me uh, bring in uh, Nick, who's been relatively quiet today because I scheduled too many guests again. And oh, look at this! Uh, I just got a message here, Nick, that uh, callback wouldn't let me answer from Jay Crane. <laughs> so <laughs> nothing like programming while we're on the air. But since we're separated by glass and we're separated, it's not like I can get up and leave because my mic is live and so forth. So Jake's ready to go with this. And I know he went the extra mile today. He was actually supposed to be on with another uh, station, but he did the, uh, the nice gesture to remove himself from that to be with us. Jake, welcome to the show. Good morning. How are you today? Lee, what's up, buddy? Uh, always great to talk to you. It's a Friday, getting close to media days, which means we're getting closer to kickoff, so I'm in a good mood. Tell our audience about uh, listening to Jay Crane and your your partners on the podcast. Uh, how do they do that? 
Yeah, man. You know, I, I started out, I was doing the J-Boy show, and then we got signed to be the uh, sports show for the Daily Wire. Uh, you know, we don't talk politics, though. We talk sports. It's called Crane & Company, C-R-A-I-N and Company. We're live each weekday morning, 6.30 to 8 a.m. Central, 7.30 to 9 a.m. Eastern. Do live call-ins. We have a live chat. We talk a ton of college football, man. So uh, check us out. I think you'll like it. Oh, there's no doubt. And you got the experience. You've been a coach, broadcaster, you name it. You've been through it. What are the? Give me three storylines for Nashville next week. Uh, one, you know, I, I think the SEC West being as wide open as I can remember it is one. I mean, obviously LSU right now is being looked at as a slight favorite with kind of some of the – the, not turmoil at Bama, but turnover, I think, is a better way to put it. You look at the quarterback position, breaking in a new left tackle, you lose Will Anderson. But we know that you know Nick Saban recruits at an unbelievably high level, uh, so you can never discount Alabama. And then there's some unknowns over there. Hugh Freeze and Auburn in year one, what they've done in the transfer portal, especially up front, I think it's going to give them a chance to possibly go 8-4. and four. And then Sam Pittman in Arkansas, you know, eventually they've got to be able to get over the hump there. And obviously Jimbo Fisher and A&M. I think the, the one of the uh, second biggest storylines, and I don't think enough people are, are talking about this, is, you know, Tennessee and South Carolina, South Carolina especially at the end of the year with Spencer Rattler coming on, but Tennessee, they, they both kind of moved from uh, nice condos to, to a big house in a, in a nice suburb. Now, who's going to move into the mansion this year? Who's going to be able to take that next step? Joe Milton's a big question mark at Tennessee. Can he throw the changeup? We know he can throw the fastball. Uh, and which Spencer Rattler are we going to get? Are we going to get end of the year Spencer Rattler? Are we going to get beginning of the year Spencer Rattler? I think a lot of that has to do with, with what's going on up front. And then, you know, I think there's a couple coaches right now that are feeling the heat. You look at Billy Napier in Florida in year two. They've got a really tough schedule this year. Obviously, 2024 is an absolute brutal schedule when you look at it. Are they going to be patient with him? And then Jimbo. You know, Texas A&M, Connor Wegman, a lot of people are high on him. They return a lot up front. So there's a ton of storylines, but those are three that kind of jump out at me. Are you optimistic about Auburn now and Hugh Freeze? Um, you know, I, I think it, it, it depends on what your view of, of what a good year would be. Uh, I don't think 7-5 and five would be a bad year, but the more I look at Auburn up front, now, the pass rush is a huge question mark. That's the biggest question mark I have for Auburn because I think in the back end, they've got some guys that can play. DJ James, we know. Nehemiah Pritchett, we know. Who's going to be able to rush the passer now that Derek Hall's gone? Uh, Marcus Harris is a guy they're really going to lean on from an interior and exterior standpoint from a pass rush that, uh, you know, they got the kid in from App State, McLeod, that I think is going to be a really good pass rusher. Uh, but no, I, I feel like Auburn, I think they have a legitimate chance to go 8-4 and four if they catch a couple breaks and they get good play from the quarterback position. Without a starting quarterback in hand, uh, Georgia and Alabama, do you think there's too much hype for them, the fact that they don't have an established quarterback this year, whereas LSU does, whereas Tennessee, well, I say Tennessee, Milton, he's been there, done that, at some, like at Michigan a little bit, also at Tennessee. But, they, but the Alabama and Georgia, the two programs that will be picked, I'm sure, number one in the East and the West, do not have an established quarterback. Yeah, you know, I think LSU is actually going to come out of media days as the favorite in the West. But, yeah, it's an interesting situation. Now, I think when you when you look at, at Georgia, they already have – they know who their guy is, right? It's Carson Beck. Uh, I think that helps a lot, especially the, the team knowing – 
who the voice is, who they're going to be listening to at Alabama right now. I mean, I still consider it a three-horse race between Milrose Simpson and obviously Tyler Buckner coming in from Notre Dame with that relationship he has with Tommy Reese. But I do think Georgia is in a better position up front not only from a starting five on the offensive line, starting four on the defensive line, but from a depth standpoint to kind of hide a little bit of what they're lacking from experience at the quarterback position. I think Carson's going to be a lot more comfortable. And Georgia does have Brock Bowers. They brought in Ra-Ra Thomas from Mississippi State, Dominic Lovett from Missouri. So it's a big storyline. There are question marks, but I would put Georgia kind of a little bit ahead in that race. Jake Crane on the line with us right now. Are you going to be on Radio Row? next week oh yeah i'm gonna be there i'm gonna be there like a fat kid on a cupcake so if you could interview just one of the 14 coaches which one would it be and why man you know uh shane beamer i i like shane a lot i i like what he's doing at south carolina I like what he's done with the culture at South Carolina because there's a ton of resources there. It's a place you can win. We saw what Spurrier was able to do when when they had that spurt. But Shane, to me, is a fantastic interview because I feel like Shane's one of the few coaches that, that I think will really tell you how he feels about something. It's not just coach speak. He's kind of part of that new way. Lane Kiffin, obviously, that's the easy answer. He's always making headlines. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I think Shane's part of that new wave of coach that has embraced social media and kind of goes about it a different way. They're in the process of building something there. So I would say Shane Beamer. Jake, uh, the SEC does a fantastic job. It's a PR machine. This uh, four-day extravaganza in Nashville is unlike any other conference. Nobody comes close to it. Are they expecting yeah. – how many media members are they expecting this year? Well, as many as the fire marshal let them have. I mean, again, it's it's the the ultimate gathering uh, for the ultimate conference in college football. I don't think that's any dispute. Storylines are a plenty; they always are. Uh, and I think there are some more unknowns this year, which I think adds to the intrigue. Uh, but it's going to be loaded. Uh, you know, you had the one year with with COVID where the fans weren't allowed to kind of hang out. They're going to be there as well. It's going to be like the Beatles are in town, man. So this is the first year in Nashville. Why was it placed in Nashville, and will it be any different than Atlanta or Birmingham? Um, you know, I, I, I think when you look at Nashville, it's obviously a, a major city. Uh, it's a city that loves its football, not just college, but NFL. It's kind of in the middle of everybody, which I think is good from a location standpoint. And it's definitely big enough to hold it and put on a great soiree. So I think Nashville's a place – where they're going to fall in love with when it comes to SEC media days. And it's right here in my backyard, so it's a home game for us. So I like that part, too. Uh, as far as being different from Atlanta and Birmingham, I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle of those two. Obviously, Birmingham is a big city, but it's not the biggest city. Um, and I think it's going to be a great time. And I think, again, it's going to be a place where the SEC wants to come back more than just once. Usually... There's no news that comes out of this. This is all a, a hot PR machine. But I'm going to ask you, do you expect any stories to come out of this, any newsworthy? Um, yes. Uh, I mean, you go back to two years ago where Texas and Oklahoma uh, was announced they were joining the conference. They tend to release things about around this time because it generates the most interest. Uh, and it, it's a smart business place. So, yeah, something will happen. I don't think from a conference expansion standpoint, but which coach – is going to have that viral moment. We remember the Jimbo Fisher-Nick Saban feud, right, from last year. What's it going to be this year? i got a sneaking suspicion 
a sneaking suspicion that Brian Kelly may come out and take a shot at Bama. Oh, well, okay. And, you know, he's already been on record saying he'd like to play Alabama every year. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you, you got to say that, right? Well, what's the alternative? We're scared to play him. Uh, you came in year one, you beat him, you won the SEC West. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you, you want you want to be confident, right? You want to be confident but not brash, confident but not arrogant. I think there's a balance there. Sometimes Brian does uh, overset that balance. But, look, to be honest with you, it does give bulletin board material, and you don't want to do that because it helps with prep. But players like it, man. Players like it when a coach goes out there and has their back like that. So if you can kind of find, kind of thread that needle, find that honey hole, uh, it can be a weapon, that, uh, a good weapon to use for the good. While there is a lot of attention given to the Alabama-Texas game on week two of the SEC season, yeah. the opening weekend, LSU-Florida State looms large. Oh, man, it's, uh, it's uh, planted on a Sunday. Uh, it's going to be gangbusters down there in Orlando. And I, I call it the ultimate insurance game, both ways. If you win it, you just bought yourself a loss because I think Florida State's going to be in this thing till the end over there in the ACC. I think they're going to have a chance to possibly sniff the college football playoff. And then on the other hand, if you lose it and you win the rest of your games, that's a heck of a loss, and it's week one. So uh, it's the ultimate insurance game. I think it can be beneficial for both teams, and uh, it should be a heck of a matchup, a close game, and there's going to be talent all over that field. You know, you've got a bunch of good openers. It's a great opening week in college football. You know, Utah and Florida, I can go down the list, uh, and week two is fantastic as well, but it is the ultimate insurance game. Good move by the SEC to extend Greg Sankey's uh, contract through 2028. What do you, uh, when you look at him and what he's done, what sticks out? Well, you know, it's 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 kind of like taking over. Uh, you know, you, if your father had built up a, this big company, it's hard to take it over and make it even better. I think that's what Greg Sankey's done. I think Greg Sankey's positioned himself, and we talked about this with Tim Brando on the show this morning, to become the czar or the commissioner of college football as they move further and further away from the NCAA, which, which we see evaporating by the second, which I couldn't be more excited about. But I think he's been patient and smart. Uh, I, I think he makes very, very calculated decisions because the commissioner has to have the best interests of every school. You know, uh, the, the ADs and the coaches, they have the best interests of their school, and they should. But it's hard for a commissioner who's responsible for revenue, who's responsible for handling the TV situations, who's responsible for trying to keep everybody happy when you got a bunch of alpha males walking around uh, with a lot of money to spend and a lot of cachet. And I think Greg has, has achieved a balance when it comes to making the right decision and having the right tempo about how he makes the decision. Hey, Jake, thank you so much. We'll hopefully check in with you next week. Uh, have a good time next week. Should be fun. Lee, it's, yeah, Lee, it's always fun, brother. I always love coming on. You know the amount of respect I have for you guys, and I'll see you next week. You better believe it. All right, we're going to tell you what our coverage is all about next week when we come back. Uh, Nick will bring us up to date on who's going up there, what the schedule is, why you should be listening we well, should be listening all the time anyway, but why you should be listening next week. This is Andrew Bell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSD 1055.
have uh, certainly heard from a number of guests today, but to send the show on its way, of course, we bring in the big gun, Nick Wiggins. Good morning, Nick. Hello, good morning. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I apologize this week. We didn't get into any of the movies you saw, things like that, but I am interested to know what we're looking at next week now. Paul Feinbaum had mentioned this thing got started in Birmingham after the Skyriders tour in 1985. I've covered virtually every one of them except maybe three. I didn't go to Atlanta last year. Obviously, the COVID is out, but there's only been like one or two or three. I am sitting this one out because the young studs here, the go-getters, led by you, are going up to Nashville. Tell me what to expect. You can expect a week filled with fun, chaotic, uh, engaging, and entertaining interviews, segments, videos, and photos with your favorite SEC personalities, coaches, and players. And I didn't write that down. That was right off the top of my head. So what do our listeners get? <laughs> Everything I just said. What do they... It, you know, it might help if you like explain like what times you're going to be on, when they should listen. Yeah. So um, for the morning show, you'll be getting some on the field reports and updates from Stephen Root and I. We'll clock in at about seven thirty. Come in about halfway through the show. Then you're going to have Corey and Michael doing their whole show live from SEC Media Days. We're going to be spending the in-between time getting interviews, video footage. That'll all be on the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok. So we're, it'll be a lot of work, but it'll be a lot of fun. Don't forget Chuck Oliver, 1 to 3. That's right. Yeah, Chuck will be going. But I, I'm more so speaking about our in-house crew and what we'll be doing. Right, exactly. But, I mean, Chuck is up there also with uh, 680 The Fan, and they do get some most of the coaches – uh, Nick Saban is always on, so if you're unable to get him, what do you think the over-under is for the head coaches uh, uh, during our shows next week? I'm going to give you a number. I'd say if we get three, that would be fantastic. We're getting eight. You're going to get eight head coaches live or tape. What? And I'm not talking about at their press conferences. I'm yeah. talking about coming down and sitting at Radio Row and getting interviewed. You yeah, think we're going to get eight? Be, we're, there's four of us, so we can block off their front exit, their back exit, and the two sides. So we're going to corner Nick Saban. We're going to box him in, and, and we're going to get some content out of that. If you do that, I'd love to see that one on uh, video or whatever. That would be fabulous because, as you know, he's surrounded completely yeah, by you'll, his— you see it on the uh, security cam footage that leaks onto TMZ while we're getting thrown out. And like I said, in my years in going up there, I would say if we got two coaches, we'd be in pretty good shape out of the 14. You're saying you're going to get eight. Yep. I, I, I'd i give you a One lot of applause if you do that. Yeah, I'd give you a lot of applause. So uh, in addition, you know, have you been to Nashville before? Uh, Yeah, I've been a few times. So you guys got planned any – extracurricular activities i know you're going to be busy pretty much from what seven in the morning till the last Six. coach leaves right so after anything in particular you guys are working on anything you got up your sleeve for fun 
You know, we're going to kind of let the week come to us as it may. Uh, well, does the FCC have anything planned for after hours? I know they have these very nice luncheons, but yeah, do they have anything planned after hours? Yeah, the Nashville, um, their, their uh, hockey team, they're hosting a media event one night. The Tennessee Titans are hosting a media event. They're doing a party thing um, off-Broadway downtown. That's all Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then Thursday night, we'll kind of be up to our own devices, and we'll see how that goes. Who's driving? I will be chauffeuring Mr. Steven Root, and Michael will be chauffeuring his co-host, Corey Labone. Oh, so we're taking two vehicles up there. Yeah, we didn't want to make it where you're, we're just completely reliant on one guy's car. So if you have two, you know, there's options. All right, we've talked about the hours of local programming. What about from the social social uh, media and so forth? What what can our listeners get out of that? And that, that's see, something that, that's out of my Yeah, see, that's uh, where the fun stuff really happens. I'm going to interview some players and coaches and ask them some uh, some more off-the-wall type questions. Um, I'm thinking about bringing like a game of Connect Four down there. You ever played Connect Four, Lee? I did, but I, you're gonna, remember when I talked to Paul earlier today, and I thought one of the funniest things I ever heard. And do you remember when I said this about um, uh, during Chuck Oliver's show? The, the sh I was coming home. Oh no, no, I was driving to Atlanta from Birmingham after covering it, and they had sent out one of the reporters to interview people on the street or actually at the Winfrey, you know, the, the food court, uh, comparing Chuck Oliver to Paul Feinbaum. It was one of the funniest bits I have ever heard on radio. Yeah, we'll, we'll be doing a lot of c things kind of like that. Um, I'm planning on challenging every player and coach that we interview to a game of Connect Four. I like to think I'm a professional at Connect Four, so... Uh, maybe that can spark some of their competitive drive if they can try and beat the master Nick Wiggins. Um, I yeah, think we're just going to be doing a lot of I, fun, goofy, really, weird things and getting all that online. And I think the players appreciate that because they get so tired of the same questions like, well, what do you, how's your position or what are you doing? You know, the, the, yeah. the, the same football questions. I, I think the offbeat questions actually go a long way to making a better interview. I think you're right, Lee, and I get tired of listening to the same old questions get asked. So I'm I'm up there to try and mix it up a little bit, and hopefully that proves to be fruitful for us. You know, you're welcome to be, join us even earlier than 7:30 in the morning. You know that. Now, yeah, are you going to walk? You know, are you going to walk? Drink my to liquid IV at like <laughs> seven. So, are, are you going to walk or, or drive? I understand you're about 20 minutes away from Radio Row or from the hotel. You got a nice house up there. Yeah, we got a real nice place. We all got our own bedroom. Uh, it's going to be a good time. See what I missed? I know, right? Well, I couldn't do that because he, if we had, because I always had to go on at 6 a.m. and I'd be there at 5 setting up, so I'd have to be in the hotel. Oh, you, it, so if you were to go with us, you, you would get a separate place? Oh, absolutely. No, I wouldn't associate with you four. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. No, okay. I, I'd. First of all, you guys party too late into the night. I, I couldn't handle that. I'm, I'm just not into that. Yeah, you'll be waking up right as we're going <laughs> yes, to bed. Yes, that's right. As you, I'm coming out of here. Coming that's right. <laughs> that's, pretty safe. that's a pretty safe comment. Uh, do you pull all-nighters still? I haven't pulled an all-nighter in forever. 
You know, once you go past 24 hours, no sleep, you start hallucinating. And uh, things can get start going uh, downhill pretty quickly. So since I haven't really had a chance to talk to you on the air much of this week, what happened? Anything special this week uh, off the air? Well, I was going to ask you, did you do your homework that I gave you last night? We didn't really get to talk about it. I started. You started your homework? I did, to watch the uh, Netflix. Yep. Yeah, I started. I, I saw... I saw the beginning of it, and then I it was past nine. I kind of fell asleep, so I have something to do this weekend. Now, I did start watching it. Um, I think it was uh, Cousins. Yep. Beginning. How long? Uh, there. You know, I didn't realize this. There's a bunch. There's a few episodes. It's not just one. Right. Yeah. They're about forty-five minutes apiece. I watched about three episodes last night, and. and? I already really liked Kirk Cousins. Now I like him more. I already disliked Marcus Mariota. Now I dislike him more. Hey, be safe. I will. Now, you're going to join me Monday, right? That's right. All right, because we're. Uh, you might want to just, for your, to give you a, you know, a heads up, uh, Phil Steele's going to be on until 8, so you probably want to maybe wait until after Phil. All right, we'll sleep in. Yeah, give you that half hour there. Is that all right? Yeah, that'll work. So this is, well, what's a good term for the four? The Fantastic Four? The, the, That's the big not four? bad. Fantastic Four? Yeah, let's All go with that. Let's go with that. Hey, thanks for your help this week. Appreciate it. No problem. All right. Uh, 